The Bloody Elbow Podcast Network is moving. That's right. We're moving from SoundCloud and YouTube to Substack. It will still be available through your current iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher subscriptions, but the main home of the Bloody Elbow Podcast Network will now be on Substack. While most of our audio content will remain free, we'll be asking listeners to please get a paid subscription to support the shows, which are now ad-free. Please give us your email, and we'll send you notices and summaries of every new episode. Become a paid subscriber and get bonus segments only available to those who've pledged their support. Sign up at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com today. Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA section for UFC 287 going down this week in Miami-Dade Arena in Miami, Florida. With me, your host, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We're here once again talking about this card. Looking at the prelims card right now at the featured prelim bout between Kelvin Gastelum and Chris Curtis. And uh, a card that's overall, it's fine. It's fine. It's, it's, it's fine. It's not as big as the, the last two pay-per-views, but there's nothing wrong with it. It's fine. Yeah. It feels like it shouldn't be like uh, weaker than the one that was really specifically catering to the uh, English crowd. Yeah, because like, you know, this isn't this isn't built for Miami Dade. Uh, well, it does fine. have Masvidal and on it and all that, but yeah, yeah but I, who else is? There's no other Miami fighters here, are there? No, it's true. It's true. Yeah, um, but it's fine. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, 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 it's it's not as good as, you know, we don't have that Gagey Fiziev co-main event. No. We have Burns Masvidal, and that that is not, we talked about it already, from a stylistic matchup at this point in both men's career, it is just not an interesting fight. Yeah. It's just not. And then uh, our, our featured prelim here, Gastelum Curtis, is one of several on this card. Yeah. Uh, most of which on the main card but one of several which really feel like they're just being like uh, shit or get off the pot to some old contender. Yep. Which somehow in this case is the younger man, Kelvin Gastel. That is, that is improbable. How old is he now? 31. Wow. Still a child. Yep. I guess uh, that's what happens when you get into the UFC at like 19 or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Gastelum is like, he is the cautionary young veteran tale. Yeah, he is the kid who learned how to survive and fight with the big guys early on. Yep, and has just never added a goddamn thing to his game in all the years since. Well, he's also a cautionary tale of being too good naturally. Yeah, yeah. Calvin Gaston has so many everything except size. Yeah, uh, he has a, enough of every other attribute to even make up for his very diminutive frame. He's got the, uh, one of the greatest chins in the sport. Yep. He's got power. He's he, he is or at least was fast as hell. Yep. Um, and he's got a great natural head for fighting, too. Yeah, like, yeah. 
He's comfortable he, in an exchange and in a scramble. Yeah, he doesn't get he he doesn't let himself get uh, flustered. He doesn't let himself like he, he's very clearly like a a natural comfortable fighter. Yep, and then that's uh, sometimes when that's what you're gifted with. You uh, you never really feel the pressure to add anything until it's way too late. Yeah, because I mean you got to imagine that Kelvin Gastelum in the gym working with him has just got to be hell you know like it's it's got to be not like hell like oh he's so difficult but like hell like training with this guy he's gonna win he's gonna win all the time he's, yeah. he's gonna he's never gonna lose to you in the training room yeah and and then clearly he's also had other issues with i just yeah. don't think he's the most disciplined <clears throat> athlete yeah he only moved up a weight class um, not that I think it's a terrible weight class for him. You know, no, I, I mean, if you're not going to progress and if you're going to have a very simple game, better middleweight than welterweight. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but the only reason he did move up is that he just like, he just didn't want to cut weight. Yeah. Which fair enough. I don't want to cut weight. That's why I'm fat. <laughs> you know, I want to eat tacos too, but, yeah, uh, yeah. but, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it is a mark of most truly elite fighters that Gastelum clearly doesn't have. Yeah. And even some truly elite fighters are like disciplined in some ways and not in others. You know, I think of stories yeah. of like Archie Moore, one of the greatest boxers of all time. And that dude was like trying to sneak fried chicken and glazed donuts into his hotel room, like past his manager when he's supposed to be cutting weight. Like, but as a technical fighter, tremendous discipline. Yeah. Gaston doesn't seem to have really any kind of the the elite level discipline of a, of a fighter and chris curtis is you know if we're talking young veterans who aren't a cautionary tale it's yeah. chris curtis he is everything you hope for from the idea of the young veteran yeah the guy who came into this sport as an undersized just very passive survivalist you know has powered but not, not the best competitor out there Mm-hmm. And took years and years to climb and, and improve and become more technical to the point that now he's just kind of like really technically fantastic and difficult to beat for anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Curtis is more like the real Archie Moore, actually, or any of those fighters from the, the Black Murderers Row. All these guys had to fight each other, and they had to be road yeah. dogs. They had to travel to other cities against unfriendly judges and unfriendly crowds. And, like, the most important thing was, this is my job. I want to get paid, and I want to be able to get paid again as quickly as possible after. Yeah. So they developed great defensive games and became very difficult to, to hit clean and just um, cultivated winning chances that, like, you couldn't ever push them out of having an opportunity to suddenly win the fight. Yep. And that's Chris Curtis. And it seems to have come full circle now where, uh, he's super comfortable in there and he'll be in there, uh, against fighters like, um, like Phil Halls or like in that last fight with Joaquin Buckley, where they're doing way more work than him. Yep. But he's the one winning the fight. And we brought that Buckley fight down to a T where it's just like, (laughs) yeah, 
Buckley's going to do well. He's going to look good. Curtis is passive, and Buckley throws hard, and he creates a lot of, of opportunities for himself. Yeah. But he's going to enter on the exact same line in the exact same pattern every time against an incredibly dangerous counterpuncher. Yeah. And truly, I think that that exact fight is a pretty accurate predictor of how this one, I expect this one to play out. Because... Kelvin Gastelum has the exact same kind of set patterns. Yeah. If anything, he's less um, flexible with his shot selection than yeah. a guy like Joaquin Buckley. Um, so more limited uh, variety of strikes and just as locked into sort of this, the same rhythmic pattern again and again. Yeah. And, um, and he's slower now. So the shocking speed that used to make that the famous or infamous Gastelum one two mm -hmm. uh, such a dangerous thing at, at all moments is now opponents seem to kind of get a get a feel for it pretty quickly, and he does not have the footwork or the follow up strikes or the defense to build around the the basic things that he wants to do. I think I, I there were some signs he was trying to do that. A bit in his last fight, he was trying yeah. to like find kicks off of his one-two combination that he kept throwing. He's been trying to like counter people with the right hook. Of course, in the Adesanya fight, he's trying to incorporate a little yeah. head movement. But I just think even going back to 2019 when he fought Izzy, it was already too little, too late. Yeah, like I now mean, is not the time. You, you, your your prime started early. You got into the UFC when you were 20, 21 years old. I think it was. And uh, you took a shitload of damage and have had a bunch of hard fights and you have not been taking care of yourself the way that a, a top athlete probably should. Yep. And you've not been focused and now everything is set, you know, so like trying to learn something new, these aren't going to be durable changes. They're not going to stay. Yeah. yeah and, I mean, the thing is, though, if we say all that. He's still going to have a hell of a good chance to beat Chris Curtis. Yeah. 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 Because. Curtis is not out there to be a round winner. It is not who he is. Yeah. Kelvin Gastelum isn't a round winner either. So this this fight could be profoundly negative for yeah. long stretches. And he's not going to. Uh, he's very unlikely to hurt Gastelum the way he did Buckley. Curtis, yeah. I mean, he's he's cause... very unlikely to just knock him out. It's not probably going to happen. So it's basically never happened, has it? No, he's never been knocked out. I mean, he should have been stopped against Israel Adesanya, but he still didn't get knocked unconscious. Yeah. And he's otherwise only ever been submitted because he gets really... He's too calm in the yeah. eye of the storm, often. He's just too unconcerned about the idea that he should need to defend something. Yeah. But he's never been knocked out. Yep. So... You have two guys who Gaslam is more likely to be the one uh, putting out offense leading. He is uh, not a natural counterpuncher, really. He's just not a very high output pressure fighter. Yeah. Um, but so he's more likely to lead than Chris Curtis. And he's not likely to get knocked out. I will say that given a passive opponent, it's not like Curtis will refuse an invitation to pressure at all costs. Yeah. 
he had his PFL fight with um, Andre Filio. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of all over his ass because uh, Filio was on the back foot and looking timid. Um, yeah. So if Gastelum does have one of his especially passive performances, I wouldn't be shocked to see sure. Curtis trying to walk him down. Sure. I'm just saying I'm, I I would expect Gastelum. To, if I'm expecting somebody to lead, I think yeah. it'll be Gastelum. Yeah. Curtis likes to counterpunch. And if yeah. you show any inclination to lead, he's like, OK, sweet. Give, yep. give me give me the openings. Bring bring it here. So that 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 simple dynamic makes this fight very hard to call. Yeah. Because if Gaslam's leading and he's not getting hurt, he could easily be winning. You know? Yeah. Just on simple offensive output. It uh I'm going to pick Chris Curtis because I think he's going to land the better shots. Yeah, same. And I think that that's what judges should should see. But, you know, like Kelvin Gastelum's loss to Jared Cannonier was in, you know, Cannonier landed 81 strikes. Gastelum landed 89. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cannonier got a knockdown in that fight. But it was basically just a tit-for-tat, touch-and-go fight all the way through. And, you know, there's nothing to say. Like, he had that kind of fight, too, with uh, Darren Till. He landed 40 shots. Darren Till landed 36. It was a split decision. Mm -hmm. It is very much the kind of fight that Gastelum has. And there's nothing to say he can't win it. It's just... He doesn't win a lot of those kind of fights anymore. Yeah, no, he doesn't. He, and, he... yeah. I was gonna say, yep. and Curtis does tend to actually get those decisions these days, most of the time. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to hurt Gastelum if you're hitting his gigantic head with the most visibly clean and powerful shots of each round. Yeah, um, and. That is one thing that, yeah, Gaslam remains tremendously hittable. Yeah. And Curtis is a very accurate and powerful counterpuncher. Gaslam is going to come in face first with his chin up high. And uh, I mean, who knows, man? At some point, just being the guy who has a chin who eats everything that comes at him will fail. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She said Cannoneer hurt him. Um, Curtis is maybe not the level of puncher of Cannoneer, but he's a better a puncher he's a, he's with a better form. And, he's yeah. much more likely to hit you with something you didn't see coming. Absolutely. Um, and this is uh, the rare fight where he won't even have a reach disadvantage or yeah. just a functional one. It's like two stocky dudes. Yeah. Uh, and he looked very comfortable against Joaquin Buckley, who, again, was way more interested in trying to overwhelm Curtis yeah. than I expect Gastelum to be. So I think Curtis can get away with his lower output more and still be landing the most memorable strikes, the, the kind of strikes that maybe don't hurt Kelvin all the time, but they make the comment commentators go, Oh at, yeah. Ad reads or uh, not ad reads, but uh, odds reads. Odds uh, reads. Ga- Gastelum opened at plus plus one thirty six. He's currently down about minus minus one twenty four. This fight is actually pretty much dead. Even Chris Curtis opened at minus minus one fifty one. has jumped up lately to plus one Oh eight. So, Odd skewing Gastelum's direction. Um, Surprising. I would not. If it was going to skew one way, I wouldn't skew it that way. And uh, Gastelum 
he's just not a fighter I would ever be happy to bet on. Ever. Yeah. No. Uh, that brings us to a woman's strawweight bout. Michelle Watterson Gomez against Luana Pinheiro. And um, this is kind of a fight that it feels like Watterson uh, might just, like, she might be in just the wrong enough place to win. <laughs> <laughs> Which I know sounds really weird. But, like, she's been trying for a long time now to become a stronger, more powerful, uh, more bullying fighter. She's been working a lot to just, you know, she still does a lot of the side-on kick stuff out at range and stuff like that. But she's working a lot to then turn and sit down in the pocket and punch with with power and aggression. Mm -hmm. And marry that to a, a driving double leg takedown game. And that is actually just the kind of fundamental bullying that Luana Pinheiro does not seem all that well designed to stop. Mm-hmm. She Her game is just raw. Right now, it's just raw physicality and a headlock throw that she's incredibly slick with. Um, But yeah, she's just, you know, she will do nothing and then swarm at you. And if you try to counter the swarm with a clinch, she'll headlock throw you. And then she mm-hmm. gets on top and she doesn't really have a plan. She doesn't pass guard. She doesn't have a great uh, top game. She doesn't have a great method to get to ground and pound. She just wants to start swinging wildly and being aggressive and being a bully. Mm-hmm. So if Watterson just can stay tight and technical... She might just be able to take Pinheiro off her feet every time they get close to each other and stay on top of her to win rounds. Um, she's still a very tough fighter to knock out. Mm-hmm. You know, she's only been TKO'd once in her whole career in 2009. Uh I don't know. Like, don't how know. much do we trust Pinero's raw physicality to just get the job done? No, I don't. I'm with you. I mean, P- Pinero is going to throw herself into the clinches. I mean, I'll say this: that the P- Pinero fought was lucky to fight just the right version of Sam Hughes. Yeah, because I think if she had fought the Sam Hughes that emerged after that bout, she would have lost her too. I don't think she has the distance management. I think she's way too wide and open. Mm-hmm. Um, and even in that fight, she like ran into some nasty counters and stuff. She's very face first when she's being aggressive. Yeah. And very laps when she's being defensive. All I hope is that we see at least four head and arm throws from each fighter in this fight. But uh, yeah, I mean, what's likely to go with the double leg these days? She's really Watterson still likes that. the head and arm. Throw. She's, okay, okay. She still likes that head and arm throw. But yeah, she's actually got like a good reactive shot. She's she's got good leg attacks with her wrestling, and these are going to be wide open anytime Pinheiro throws absolutely anything. So yeah. I'm definitely going to take Watterson with the toughness and the grappling to just yeah. find ways of not having to have a a physical fight with Pinheiro in the, on the feet. There is just a chance that Pinheiro will just like blitz jump at her while she's trying a sidekick and just 
club her to the mat and stay on her yeah. and win around that way and then have both of them circle each other for a round where we just are like, okay, nobody's what? Why? And then Michelle Watterson gets like a takedown and spends around on top. And then we're just looking at it, the world's wonkiest split decision. Yeah. But even then, like even when she gets to good positions on the ground, Pinedo is, she's just too aggressive. Like, yeah, there's no control there. She, 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 she clearly has the ability to control people. Like she's strong. Yeah. She, she, she's got like a, a solid headlock game, but she's, that's not the game she wants to play. Like if she has a good position, she wants to kill you with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I get, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll side with you and take Watterson here. It just looks like a crafty veteran, uh, an opportunity for a crafty veteran. It does. It really feels like that. And Pinero is very raw, but you know, at some point Watterson's, like adding physicality to your game late in your career is not, um, yeah, it's not a long-term winning proposition because you're adding skills that are more likely to fade, you know. Yeah. So, I, I just haven't been that impressed with Pinion's no, game. No, I haven't either. And Watterson is still a very competent, uh, very tough, high-level fighter who who does know how to win. Like she'll just find ways to do, do the things she needs to do to win the round when she needs to win it. Mm-hmm. And it's been, you know, Amanda Lemos who was actually, you know, not winning all that well against Watterson yeah. and just timed the fact that Watterson here, she, she's making herself predictable with these takedown entries that she hits. And Lemos just jumped on one with the guillotine and then she's otherwise, you know, a more technical striker in Rodriguez, uh, Rodriguez, a more technical wrestler in Esparza who barely beat her, a more technical striker in Yenjechik, a a more physical, good, well-rounded athlete in Tisha Torres who can do all the same things Watterson does but with more power, and a more technical striker in Rose Namajunas. And that's... Yeah. You know, for years, those have been the people that beat her. So then again, you know, Angela Hill, Karolina Kovalkovich, and uh, Felice Herrig aren't exactly the athletic pinnacle that Pinheiro is either. Pinheiro does seem actually strong and fast. So there is that reason to sound a note of caution as well. Yeah, for sure. Pinheiro's got potential. I just haven't seen it realized yet. Yeah. Uh. Odds on the bout, Pinheiro is uh, the favorite here, opened at minus 176, currently minus 156. Watterson opened at plus 157, currently down at plus 140. So those odds getting closer. Uh, still on Pinheiro's side. I get it. She's on a run. Watterson has been, you know, she's she's collecting a lot of losses uh, I think she's kind of sticking herself in an eddy of trying to be trying to change what kind of fighter she is after a long career uh, that is not ever going to re- realize really good results against other good fighters that have made these kinds of switches much earlier. Yeah. Um, but it might, like I say, it might be just the right place to be right now to get this win. All right, that brings us similarly 
to a middleweight bout, Gerald Mearshart, Joe Pfeiffer. Uh-huh. And Mearshart, he's, I mean, this is years, but he's always been the guy who wins these fights. Yeah. Um, it's just interesting to see what he's done lately to make it feel like it's even more likely. Um, yeah, I mean, he has broadened out his game. He has picked up some boxing ability. I mean, yeah. uh, and at the very least, a feel for a, a boxing game that is still like, you know, largely because of his physicality. Like, he, he's just yeah. a very slow man. He's too slow to have the tricky shoulder roll game that he wants. Yeah. But he has learned to be so dedicated to it and comfortable with it that if he can slow down his opponent at all with dedicated pressure, with grappling and all that, then Mm -hmm. he's still there, like, shoulder rolling and countering and, like, using his slow craft at the point when better athletes have fallen off and they don't have anything that they're comfortable depending on anymore. Yeah. You know? Like, Mahmoud Muradov is a much cleaner puncher Five times faster than Gerald Mearshart. But Mearshart just stayed on him and was just like, what if I just keep stepping in, walking through your first punch and countering you? And what if I'm just comfortable doing that the whole time? And Murdov, he was not happy with that at all. Yeah. And then, of course, he's got the stuff that Gerald Mearshart is actually really good at. Yeah. He's got the... uh the single leg and body lock kind of oriented takedown game. He's got a tremendous front headlock, a whole series of front headlock submissions. Um, he's and he's perf- got that veteran calm. that's just like, yeah. Oh, you took me down and I'm on the bottom and you're dropping elbows on me. What if I just slow this down and survive it? Yeah. What's going to happen? What if I take your back at some point? What if I sweep you at some point after two minutes of you pounding my face relentlessly? What yeah. are you going to do? Now, um, you know, I, I do kind of like the look of, of how uh, of how Piper strikes. Yeah, he's uh, he's a pressure uh, a pressure boxer who um, does a pretty good job of getting, staying at his ideal range and playing his strikes mm-hmm. off of each other. He knows how to run a circling opponent into a strike in either direction. He's got good body rhythm. He, yeah. He's really good at twisting his hips through one punch in a way that naturally leads to another punch. Yeah, he seems like a really natural puncher. And, um, and um, you know, but that's kind of his game. Yeah. And uh, it's not like it might not work. Sure. I mean, Mearshart is just as capable of going out there and getting flatlined in 15 seconds as he is riding through two and a half grueling rounds to hit one sweep and submit you. Yeah, but uh, Piper's two losses to clearly two of the best fighters he's ever faced are um, pretty quick submissions. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he's you, you accept a purely... Uh, a, a pure boxing match with him and he's going to have some chances. Granted, I still, even then, uh, for all that he looks dangerous from Earshart, I've, I've not seen Piper actually have to deal with somebody who just like sticks a jab in his face. Um, and who tries to counter him with, uh, with their own long rangey punches and their own awkward rhythm. Yeah. 
But uh, there are going to be opportunities to hit takedowns, to tie Pfeiffer up as he steps in. Uh, even, as has so often been the case, even a knockdown of Gerald Mearshart presents an opportunity for Mearshart to tie him up and start grappling him. Yep. And uh, so I'm going to favor Mearshart. Yeah, I mean, we've just seen time and again that when you give Mearshart a young kid who has an exciting game and is looking to test themselves, those tend to be fights Mearshart wins. Like, yeah, he he got knocked out in 17 seconds by Hamzat Chemaev. Yeah. Chemaev is clearly a special dude. But he also just, he got lit up for a round by Oscar Pichota and then just fought through it and tech-subbed him. He got beat up for two rounds by Trevin Giles Mm -hmm. and then just swept him and submitted him, guillotined him. Mm-hmm. Daron Wynn went after him with everything he could, and Mirshart just outboxed him easily. And then there is the ultimate test of uh, of uh, uh, MMA legend Dustin Stoltzfus. Yeah. And I think the, the results are pretty clear. <laughs> but, like, yeah, I mean... Mirshart clowned him, Yeah, Pfeiffer didn't. Yep. That's all that really matters at the end of the day, isn't it? Is how how would this guy stack up stack up against Dustin Stoltzfus? And like we just saw with Bruno Silva, like here's a huge fearsome puncher. Yeah, terrible fight for Mearshart. Mearshart just like at least a super dangerous one. I mean, uh, yeah. Bruno Silva is a really messy puncher as well. He but is. yeah, Mearshart knowing that he can get knocked out in ten seconds by anyone. Yeah, he just was, went uh, there and he just skated around. Yeah, Silva. He, he had a, a a rough first round for a little bit, not even that rough. Yeah, and then he was just like, "Okay, you've lost a step, and I'm still super comfortable. What are you going to do about it?" As you said, perfectly calm is a uh, Mearshart is a he. He really looks the way you expect a long tenured veteran to look. Yeah, that he's just nothing bothers him. He's he's experienced the worst that can happen. And he accepts that it might happen. He's going to do everything in his power to prevent it from happening and to win, yep. even if it comes close. So uh, I'm definitely going to take the veteran savvy over uh, a a talented but still very raw fighter in Joe Pfeiffer. Yep. Mearshart opened at about 140 plus one plus 14150 and he's or plus one 14160 range and he's still right in there. Uh running right about what plus 165 Pfeiffer uh, opened at in the minus 190 range also still right in, right now in the minus 190 to minus 200 range I really uh, like I would rate pretty quickly Mearshart's win over Bruno Silva or Mahmoud Muradov uh, over anything on Joe Pfeiffer's record. Yeah. Like Alan Amadovsky is unquestionably not only one, the worst fighter on the middleweight roster, but might be the actual worst fighter on the entire UFC roster. Yeah. And that's far and away the best win of Joe Pfeiffer's career. Yeah. You know? And again, as I said, two, two of the better uh, rated opponents he's fought previously both submitted him. So yeah. 
And it's especially notable, too, that Dustin Stoltzfus, that slam injury he got on Piper, Stoltzfus is similarly glacially slow to right. Gerald Mearshart. So him being able to get a body lock and even take Piper down, whether you want to you know, say it's a fl- fluke injury or not, it's still not a good sign for Piper. It's not a good sign. Like this. All right. That brings us to a heavyweight bout. Carl Williams, Chase Sherman. Uh, I underrated Williams. You persuaded me to underrate Williams, too. Yeah, I I did not think that his... uh, What country is he from? I mean, first of all, who, with a name like Carl Williams, what gives you the right to be from... The, the Virgin, Virgin Islands. Islands. There are U.S. territories, Anne. I'm sorry, but Carl. He's probably he's probably the child of like a a military personnel. I'm sure. I'm sure. But it's like being from the American like American Samoa or something. Yeah. Or so when, uh, or Guam. When, when they're like, yeah, he wanted to be on the Olympic team for wrestling for the Virgin Islands, but he couldn't make it. It was just like. Okay, well, how great a wrestler is this guy, really? And I gotta, I gotta admit, he's clearly a pretty great wrestler. For heavyweight, he's a For, damn good wrestler. He's a damn good wrestler. And, uh, and he's trying to develop a fleshed-out striking game that I like the looks of. It's yeah, it's it's pretty fundamental-oriented, which I appreciate. Yep, he's very fast. He has a he has the kind of gas tank and athleticism too that allow him to stay fast and dynamic well past the point that he has spent all of his nickels. You know? <laughs> he has tried everything. How old are you? <laughs> I, I am ninety-five. Um <laughs> he, you can see him nickels. out there. Like he's he he's he'll he'll go out there, he'll try everything, he'll do everything. And it didn't it didn't get him the instant win, and he's exhausted, and he's able to just still go out there and do something big again. Yeah. You know, he's just that extra bit more dynamic than his than other opponents in this division, where being tired is not a death sentence to him. Yep. And Curtis, uh, like Curtis Blades. Yep, like Curtis Blades. And. That is not like this is all just bad news for Chase Sherman. Like, yeah, Chase Sherman can have a boxing match all of his own, just a straight boxing match. And like, I picked Waldo Cortez Acosta over him because I'm like, he's just fast. Waldo Cortez Acosta is just fast and just being fast even if all you're doing is boxing with Chase Sherman means that Chase Sherman will let you hit him really hard. Yeah. He has to have slower, less technical, less durable opposition to shine. Anything more than that, anybody faster, anybody more technical, anybody more durable will give Chase Sherman hell because he will sit right in front of you in the pocket and he will try to throw volume and he will not move his head for hell nor high water. <clears throat> and you just, all you have to do is be there and punch him. 
and he will get hit really hard mm-hmm. or take him down and he will get taken down really hard. And the unfortunate thing for Sherman, and I feel terrible for him because he's such a fun action fighter, is that it the mistakes he makes kill him inside. You can see how unhappy he gets when something goes against him. Yeah. And he just gets so frustrated and so wrapped up in it. And how can I pick him to win that fight? Yep. There is absolutely zero case to be made for Chase Sherman here. Yep. He's not even the better boxer. Yeah. He's he's tough and he's persistent. He tries. But, like, technically, Carl Williams has already surpassed him as a boxing technician by just, like, having a jab during which his head is relatively safe from harm. Yep. Um, All right. We got to read our odds. Williams opened at minus uh, 460, 470. He's currently up at minus 440. Sherman opened at plus 330. He's currently up at plus 340, uh, 350 range. And... uh, yeah, it should stay wide. Sherman has lost too many fights too many ways at this point. All right, we are going to speed through the rest of these in a heartbeat. I hate to do it, but I have seriously run us out of time. Uh, Cynthia Calvillo, Lupita Godinez. Um, Lupi. Yeah, I'm going to take Godinez. I don't love this fight for her. When one part of her game stops working... A lot of parts of her game seem to stop working, but Calvillo has been mentally in a hole, and I can't pick her switch to like, oh, a, a division switch is going to really help Cynthia Absolutely Calvillo. Absolutely not. That is, if anything, a bad sign that she's like, oh, I know, I know what will fix the completely dysfunctional game I've built. She's not aggressive. Her the, the various parts of her game don't connect at all, and yeah. she seems mentally defeated. So, yep. Godinez is crazy and aggressive. She's going to win. Yep. Godinez opens at minus 326, currently minus two, uh, 280, 290 range. Calvillo opening at plus 274, currently in the plus 230, 240 range. Yeah, it's fine. The, the only worry is that Godinez can't get takedowns, and if she can't get takedowns, she loses a lot of confidence in her boxing. Yeah. Uh, that brings it... Uh, Trey Ogden, Ignacio Bahamondes, and... was supposed to be Bahamondes versus Nicholas Moda, which is a much more interesting action-packed kind of matchup. Yep. I gotta pick Bahamondes here, though. We've talked about Ogden already as a fighter that we don't really know what he's good at other than being negative, being withdrawing from opponents, making it hard for opponents to hit him. And Bahamondes has shown himself to be pathologically aggressive yes in a way that uh i think will always will serve him well in this like if, if daniel zell huber had just thrown more strikes the ogden fight was there to win yep bahamandez he, he's not gonna not throw yep yeah see, trying to not have a fight with bahamandez is in fact seems like a very dangerous path yep bahamandez open at minus 290 he's currently down at minus 340 Ogden opened at plus 248, currently up at plus 287. That takes us to a featherweight bout. Shailen Nerdembeke, Steve Garcia. Uh, 
I got love to pick Nerd on Bieke here. You love yep. Steve Garcia. Everybody knows you love Steve I, Garcia. I loved what I thought of him last time. It is why I like rooting for him when yeah, he yeah. gets a chance to be aggressive and punch his way through to the pocket. He's yep. got a really fun punching game. It yeah. really is fun. If it wasn't so damn quick, it would be an uh, an instant entrant into our uh, Depresta series, Get in That Locker Nerd. Yep. Yep. Very much that kind of fight. But uh, the other thing we know about Steve Garcia is that he has terrible wrestling. Yeah, he, and... he, he's a good scrambler when he can get the chance to scramble through. And yeah. Shotland Nerdenbeke will give up chances, but he will also work really hard continuously. And yeah. if he's always going to be first, I got to pick him. He's very persistent and he's super strong too, which yeah. makes up for a lot of his technical shortcomings. If you are at all prone to being taken down, Nerdan Bieke, he's also a fighter who just does everything in every fight. Yep. He is going to try to take you down and sit on top of you and beat you up. Uh, yep. That's too much of a hole to uh, expect Garcia to win. Garcia is a small underdog, open at plus 199, currently down at plus 167. Shailan uh, opened at minus 227, currently minus 189. I'm fine with the odds getting a little closer. Like I, I have always said, Garcia is a better fighter than his record shows. He's fun and he's dangerous. But he's, he's always, his path to win is always relentless aggression that leads him straight into the teeth of his opponent's offense. Yes. And that brings us finally to our opening bout of the card. Sam Hughes, Jacqueline Amorim, and I'm going to pick Sam Hughes here personally. Uh, mm-hmm. Amorim seems like she could, like she might just submit Hughes. She's got points of her game, her grappling game especially, that can be aggressive. But it's a pretty, like she's not a very complex grappler at this mm-hmm. point. She doesn't have a lot of like, oh, I'm going to hold you down and I'm going to hurt you. It's like, oh, I'm going to hold you down and that's all I can do right now. And then I'll try to set something up off of that or I'm going to hurt you and I'm going to let you up because I can't hold you down at the same time. And then her striking is just, uh, it is the hope that you are too scared to approach me because I have some athleticism because there's not a lot going on. Yeah. It's just vacant. Yeah, and uh, Sam Hughes, on the other hand, has been building a really, really functional game. I think she's at Fortis. Yep. She has been building oh, a very... A... Uh, she also had sick jitsu in her corner recently, so that's a worry. <laughs> well, we'll see. <laughs> that would yeah. be a concern. If she's still working with the Fortis or still following that approach, uh, it has made her very aggressive. It has made her very concerned with uh, intelligent pressure, like keeping the cage cut off, keeping her opponent cornered. Yep. And building on them. And this does also lead her to be in good positions for the inevitable, like, chest to chest connections. Mm-hmm. Um, that I, I don't even think I'm I'm all that certain that Amorim is going to get clean takedowns on her. No. Because Hughes in her last couple fights has been getting really fl- favorable clinches when she yep. forces people to tie up with her. She's in a nice low stance. She gets her underhooks quickly, she works for head position. It um, might be that Emerim is just like an athletic talent phenom who will just, you know, yeah. Hughes, Hughes will a hit a takedown and get armbarred, maybe. Or sure. Emerim will hit a reactive double and transition straight to the back and choke her out or something. But if this is going to be a hard-fought, scrappy three-round fight, which I think it will be, Emerim's never been outside the first round. 
And yeah. she just does not have a lot of meat in the center of her game to make me think she wins a scrappy yeah. battle. And Hughes has had, uh, again, since this that turn uh, after her early UFC losses, has had fights that weren't going her way immediately. Yeah. And she was still trying her ass off late into that Pierre Rodriguez fight that yep. – uh, She's uh, she is absolutely in there to break somebody who expects to win quickly. So Hughes is the underdog. Not a surprise there. Open at plus two twenty five. Currently down at plus uh, one ninety or so. Plus two hundred. Uh, Rodriguez or uh, Emerim opened at minus two sixty one. Currently up at minus. 250, 240 in that area. Area. I think those odds should get a lot closer. I think Amarim, she's a great prospect, but is a very raw fighter at this point. All right. On that note, we're going to wrap this up. It's been a quick one, but uh, time crunch doesn't allow for a lot more. No bonus content this week. The whole episode is free uh, on our sound uh, on our Substack. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. You can find me on Twitter at these lane time. You can find Connor on Twitter at Boxing Push. You can find both of us over at Bloody Elbow. And we will see you next time. The Bloody Elbow Podcast Network is moving. That's right. We're moving from SoundCloud and YouTube to Substack. It will still be available through your current iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher subscriptions, but the main home of the Bloody Elbow Podcast Network will now be on Substack. While most of our audio content will remain free, we'll be asking listeners to please get a paid subscription to support the shows, which are now ad-free. Please give us your email, and we'll send you notices and summaries of every new episode. Become a paid subscriber and get bonus segments only available to those who've pledged their support. Sign up at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com today.